0: please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to 2 Timothy. (coughs) 2 Timothy and reading at chapter 1. And if you're using the church Bibles, this is on page 995. As you're turning there, uh, we uh, looked at 1 Timothy uh, a couple of years ago or a few years ago. Uh, But we never did get around to looking at 2 Timothy. And so now uh, I wanted to take the opportunity to come and to look at the second letter uh, of Paul uh, to Timothy. This evening we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. So the opening uh, words of this uh, letter that is written. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Well, this past week, uh, many people uh, celebrated uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, a time when people uh, give thanks and express their uh, thankfulness for what they enjoy. Uh, And people uh, are encouraged uh, to have an attitude of gratitude or thankfulness. But when we think about being thankful, Christianity gives us that uh, added appreciation of not only being thankful as a feeling or thankful as an attitude, but it allows us, as one person has said, to have uh, a destination uh, to our thankfulness. We can be not just thankful, but thankful to someone that we're thankful for what we enjoy because we know the giver of what we enjoy. The giver of every good gift is God himself. And so Christianity encourages us and teaches us the importance of thanksgiving. But it is ultimately teaching us that we are to be thankful to God. This evening we're turning to Paul's letter to Timothy. And you'll notice that as we turn to this letter this evening that Paul's words are driven with thanksgiving. Uh, These are not just empty, shallow words. These are words that are framed out of an understanding of the God who is and of the grace that God has shown. Uh, When we think about letters that have survived, uh, maybe uh, you can think of personal letters that have survived as artifacts down through time itself. Those personal letters, whether they're love letters or whether they're letters home from the war, those letters give a, a, an insight into what it was like to live in a, in a certain period. It allows us to know the reality of people lived through this. And so historians and archaeologists and uh, uh, others will uh, treasure personal letters because it not only helps us understand what things were like back then, but as we get insights into what it was like back then, it, it has an edifying effect on us ourselves today. As we learn about our past, we can learn to live in our own context better. We can see how we should live in our own situation as well. And as we're turning this evening to a personal letter, uh, we want to see that it's not just a letter written to Timothy. It's that. But more than that, it is something that is meant for the edification, for the building up of the church. Because it doesn't just tell us what was going on in the first century. It's actually helping us to learn how to live in our own situation as well. The Bible is made up of many books. Many of those books are historical accounts of events that took place. You think about uh, the description of the Exodus or the book of Samuel that tells us about the accounts that happened in history. The Bible is about history. But in many of the books, we also find not just historical accounts, but we are given addresses to the people of God. You think of the prophets. They're writing to the covenant community. They are writing to the people of God. You think of the letters of the New Testament, of Paul, of Peter, of, uh, of James, of John, they are written to the church and they're written to the church to know how to respond in their situation. But there are also a few letters in the New Testament that are directed towards one individual in particular. They are addressing one person's uh, own situation and so they take on an added personal dimension. It's a reminder to us that these are real people that are facing real situations. And so we're looking at a personal letter this evening, but it's not just a personal letter. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy uh, in a way that is meant to build up Timothy and by the inspiration of the Spirit, the church of all ages. And so we want to come uh, to this second letter uh, together this evening. This is known as Paul's second letter to Timothy. In his first letter to Timothy, he wrote to Timothy about how to carry on his ministry in a place known as Ephesus. Paul had left Timothy there with the purpose of building up and of serving the church. Uh, But now uh, he is writing to him a second time. That first letter may have been written in the early to mid-60s AD. But during the mid-60s of that period... There was a severe persecution that rose up against the church. And now Paul uh, is in prison in Rome. And Paul is now writing to Timothy in that context. And so this personal letter is not only a personal letter, but as you find out in this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, it is also flavored by an anticipation that Paul is nearing his own death. That Paul anticipates his own execution is going to be coming shortly. That his trial may have already happened. And now he's just simply awaiting the, uh, the outworking of that sentence. But as he's writing then to Timothy, this very personal letter also takes on the note of being Paul's last address. This is Paul's last words to Timothy. And so it takes on that added significance of what does Paul want Timothy to know before he dies and this evening uh, we're looking at uh, Paul's opening uh, to Timothy words of thanksgiving thanksgiving for his faith as is common with many of the letters of the New Testament there's a certain familiarity to how these letters begin there is an identification of who is the author there is the audience to whom is being addressed and there is the greetings that come with it Paul identifies himself as an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. An apostle is a delegate. He is someone who has been directly authorized by Christ to be a messenger to proclaim Christ's message. What does the king want us to know? And as an apostle... Paul was directly commissioned by Christ to go out and to proclaim this message of eternal life, the promise of life that is found in Jesus. But he also identifies who he's writing to. He's identifying the recipient as Timothy. Timothy, he describes as my beloved child. Now, Paul was not Timothy's father. He wasn't his biological father. But he addresses him as his beloved child to reveal something of the bond that exists between them. That as a father loves his child, that bond of love existed between Paul and Timothy. But more than that, it's likely that Paul is using this language because Timothy was probably converted under Paul's ministry. Paul used the same kind of language when he spoke to the Corinthians. Paul went to Corinth and he preached in Corinth. And we're told that many of the Corinthians heard Paul preached, And many of them believed as a result. And uh, it tells us in 1 Corinthians that Paul says, For though you have countless guides, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ in, uh, through the gospel. And so Paul was highlighting there. That when he brought the gospel to them and they believed in the gospel, he, he was an instrument that God used. And he was, as it became, a spiritual father to them. That the Lord blessed his labors in Corinth and became uh, their spiritual father. And it seems likely that the same thing is being re- uh, described here. That uh, Paul, on his first missionary journey, went to a place known as Lystra. And he preached there, a place where Timothy was from. And by the time Paul came back to that area, it tells us in the book of Acts that that Timothy had grown and that he was commended by the brothers. That he was someone who commended himself uh, by his faith. And so he became someone of an associate of Paul in his missionary labors. It's this Timothy that Paul is addressing this letter to. Third, he gives the greeting, a very familiar but a very Christian greeting as well. Not only does he speak of shalom or speaking peace uh, to Timothy who he writes to, but he also says grace and uh, mercy and peace. Uh, This Trinitarian uh, blessing, we might say, is communicated from the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. But Paul's letter begins with a note of thanks. And his thanksgiving is because of the faith that has has come to be in Timothy. And so this evening we want to see that uh, because God's grace brings forth faith, it should bring forth thanksgiving uh, where we see it manifested. We want to think about uh, the faith that is being uh, spoken of here as a sincere faith, uh, a successive faith, and as a spirit-empowered faith. It is, first off, a sincere faith. Paul begins there in verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As is typical. Uh, uh, of, uh, of the practice of praying. Paul continued the practice of praying both night and day. And as he prayed night and day, he was reminded of Timothy. And when he was reminded of Timothy, it made him thankful. And so Paul's first words in this letter are words of thanksgiving. But Paul is writing these words from a prison cell in Rome. And according to tradition, if tradition is reliable, he is most likely in a cell underneath the ground with the only source of light coming from the ceiling above. It is from this pit that Paul begins with words, I thank God. Because Paul is not looking at things simply by his circumstances. He's able to look at things in light of God's grace. God is doing something. And it's something that causes Paul to rejoice. Even though he is in chains. Even though his own death is impending. Paul's first words are, I thank God. I thank God for what he's doing. That's, that's probably a lesson in and of itself for us. Because so often we can just revert to grumbling. Grumbling. But here is Paul teaching us and reminding us that the dominant motif that should come from our lips is thankfulness. We should be thankful for all of God's blessings. And Paul here can simply think of Timothy, and he's already celebrating God's grace, his grace with thankfulness. He says, I thank God whom I serve, whom I worship, as did my ancestors. Paul here is very emphatic about trying to uh, highlight the fact that he worships the same God as the God who revealed himself in the Old Testament scriptures. That Christianity is not a new religion. Christianity is not something that Paul just thought up in the first century. Christianity, the message of Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of God's revelation. It is everything that God promised in the Old Come to realization. And Paul here is emphatic that this is stressed. I thank my God whom I serve as did my forefathers. That was something that Paul labored again and again. If you turn to the book of Acts, you see that Paul is stressing that point. Because it was the point of contention. You turn, for instance, to Acts Uh, chapter 24 he says I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect his opponents said that Paul is is an apostate Paul is someone who has abandoned God's word Paul has turned away from the God of our forefathers he's doing something different something divorced from the truth that was the accusation that came against Paul And Paul's defense was, I uh, confess to you that according to the way of Jesus, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything that was laid down in the law and written in the prophets. He maintained that he was holding to the truth of God's word. In Acts chapter 26, he says, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. In Acts 28, he says, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. Again and again and again, Paul emphasizes that he worships the God who revealed himself to them in the old covenant scriptures. That he worships the God of Israel. He hasn't departed. He hasn't abandoned. He hasn't diverted from the truth. In in fact, it's his opponents that are actually guilty of that because they haven't embraced where that revelation is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so here Paul is emphatic about the fact that he worships the God of his forefathers. So uh, he, he was intending uh, to defend the truth. But it's, it's also because his opponents by saying Paul worships a different God Paul has turned away from the truth. He, he's formed this sect, this new religion. That what those accusations were doing was, is it was actually tainting the way that people would look at Christianity. That it would make people think that this is something fundamentally different. To make it think that this is not in keeping with what God has revealed. The God of Israel, what he has said. And it would cause people to be uh, looking down on the message of the gospel. that That Christianity would be discredited in the process. And so Paul had to defend it again and again. He wasn't just beating the drum to beat the drum. He knew that this is a point where Christianity will be marred and smeared. And it needs to be defended. But it may also be part of Paul's thought. That because this accusation keeps coming. That it can start to wear down the defenses. And that it can be possible that even those inside the faith. May begin to wonder whether the accusations are true. Have we, have we diverted from the scriptures? Do we believe the same thing as our forefathers? Is this something fundamentally new? And for Timothy... He might be wondering, do I believe the same thing that my forefathers believed? That my grandmother believed? Is this something different? Or is this something of the same? Is there a harmony of faith? Or is this a divergent thing? And you see here Paul again emphasizing, I serve my God. The God that my ancestors worshipped too. It's the same faith its harmony, its fulfillment in Christ. And so Paul is emphatic about defending that point so as to protect Christianity from being falsely accused, but also so that those who are embracing the faith are confident in what they believe. Christianity isn't going to be accused in the 21st century uh, in the same way that it was in the first century, but it can still be tainted in the process it's much more likely in the 21st century for Christianity to be accused of being a a religion of hate of being a religion that is intolerant of being a religion that is not kind and what can happen is, is that this can taint the way that people look at the gospel but Christianity is a message of God's love not of hate It is a message of God's love redeeming sinners, of God's love conquering rebellion. And that's something that Christians have to maintain. And it's something that Christians need to be certain of so that they themselves don't become ashamed of what it is that they're promoting. That they don't begin to doubt whether or not they themselves are guilty of hate but that rather they understand the truth as it's revealed. Paul here was concerned to establish the truth. And in the same way, the church needs to understand the accusations that come against it and be prepared to stand for what we understand to be true. So this uh, is part of the reason why Paul says, I worship the God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. This isn't something that is uh, uh, done with uh, deviant motives. This isn't something that Paul is doing uh, disingenuously. This is not something that Paul is doing uh, without a transparency before God. But this is Paul honestly and genuinely describing his devotion to God and his reliance on his grace. So Paul begins by expressing his thankfulness. I thank God whom I serve. For what? For Timothy. I thank God for Timothy because of his sincere faith. He, he highlights uh, the genuineness of Timothy. This is no pretend faith in Timothy. Uh, this was the real deal. Timothy was someone who walked the walk. He was someone who practiced what he said, what he professed. And if you trace through the New Testament, you see that. Timothy was a man of God. He was there in Berea, serving the church. He was there in Thessalonica, serving the church. He was there in Corinth, serving the church. And here he is serving in Ephesus. Elsewhere, we find out that he was imprisoned for his faith. And so Timothy is someone who again and again shows to be living by faith. And when Paul looks at Timothy, he says, this is genuine. This is is a man who truly believes in the message of Jesus. And that's no small thing. Because faith is not just a nodding of the head. It's not just an act of our own will. It is a work of God. That causes a person who was living without reference to God or in unbelief devoid of God's uh, uh, truth in their life, to now living, adoring the God who is. Scripture teaches us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. When a person comes to faith, it it is God's grace. That's why Paul is thankful to God. That salvation is by grace. And if we want to understand what that means, we just trace where does the credit go to. Paul directs the credit back to God. I thank God for Timothy's sincere faith. That God has done a work. And as a work in the, uh, in the heart of Timothy, Timothy now freely chooses to believe. He embraces this message with gladness himself. And so uh, the change has been remarkable in Timothy. But, Timoth- but Paul has to say that. I thank my God, whom I serve, for Timothy's faith because it's a sincere faith. Because Paul knew that not every profession is sincere, that there can be some who profess faith, but there is no genuineness to it. It's not the real deal. It's just going along with the movement. And Paul had seen enough of people turning away, or people becoming ashamed, or people falling in love with this world, that when Paul saw the work of God, he rejoiced. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we are people who profess to be believers this this evening, do we genuinely believe these things? Do we genuinely believe the message of God's grace in Jesus Christ, the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus? Do we believe these things to be true? Or do we just kind of hum along without ever actually responding to God's promises? Paul rejoices where he sees that response that is embracing of what God has said. So he gives thanks to God for Timothy and for Timothy's sincere faith. He gives thanks to God because Timothy's faith is something that has been passed on to him as well. He says, I thank my God whom I serve for your faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul can look back over the generations and he can see the consistency. He can see the faithfulness of God working in the hearts of people, causing uh, uh, generations to respond to his grace, and how Timothy was surrounded by godly people. His mother and his grandmother were those who had instructed him in the faith. They were those who had taught him the fear of God. We read in the book of Acts that his mother uh, was a Jewish woman, that his father was a Gentile or a Greek, but, but Timothy did have a godly influence in his life. And for that, Paul can give thanks. God did not leave you without, without godly influencers in your life. There were people speaking into his life. And for that, Paul can uh, highlight and give thanks uh, to God for... In Deuteronomy, which we read, it says, Keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. You see, what did Lois and Eunice do? They embraced faith in God and his promises. But then they instructed others as well. They wanted to pass on the faith. They wanted others to know of the joy of the Lord. Come, children, gather near, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That they wanted to instruct them all uh, that they too would know uh, the joy of the Lord. The grace of God was displayed in Timothy's life by giving him a godly family that nurtured him in that faith and was teaching him to look to God. So if we're parents or grandparents this evening, We too have uh, a calling to be a living witness of the hope of the gospel. That there is something that we hold to dearly. Something that is important to us. And by our life and conduct, we are testifying to others that this is good. That this is what we are to believe in. We are to teach one another of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And you young people, one of your greatest privileges is is that you are brought up in a home where you can be taught God's word. That's what the blessing is of being part of God's covenant community. You are not left without instruction and without examples. But you see how God's message has affected others. How it has shaped them. And directs them. And so Paul can give thanks as he looks at what has happened in Timothy. But also as he sees God's handiwork over time. He's surrounded you with many witnesses as well, Timothy. You've been nurtured in God's grace. And this is all God's kindness. But then very quickly, he gives thanks for Timothy's faith, not only for its sincerity, not only for the way in which it has been something passed on to him through godly influences, but also because it is something that is spirit-empowered. Paul goes on there and he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Having highlighted that faith is a work of God's grace, he now reminds Timothy that there is a responsibility to cultivate that faith. That when he says fan into flame, the word there means to kindle afresh or to keep the flame lit fully. And here you think of a campfire and how you need to, you need to add to that fire if it is going to stay lit. Here, Paul says to Timothy, having been blessed by God, Nurture and build that faith. Fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you by the laying on of my hands and by the hands of the presbytery. What is he talking about there? The fact that Paul associates the laying on of hands with the work of him and the elders is an indication that Paul is probably thinking about Timothy's ordination when Timothy was set apart for gospel work, that he was equipped to, uh, to serve the church uh, uh, in, in this office as a teacher. But as Paul is drawing attention to that, he's highlighting that he's been equipped by the Spirit to do that work. And now it, re- it calls on him to do so in a spirit of dependence, to go about doing that, not mechanically, but in faith. So, Timothy, you have been, you've been changed by God's grace. And now you are to live by faith. You're to fan and to nurture that faith in all that you do. And he says, reminding you, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. Probably Paul here is referring to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've not been given a spirit that would... Induce fear as the dominant motif of your life. But the Holy Spirit is the spirit that brings love. A love for God and a love for others. That gives you power. The power uh, to live uh, uh, according to God's grace. The strength of God and the courage to live with a level-headedness. To discern the way forward. To go forward with God's grace. This was the promise of God's grace. Uh, Grace, that he would send his spirit. And so here, Paul gives him that, uh, uh, expresses that thankfulness that Timothy, God has worked in your life. That's something to rejoice in. Timothy, you've been blessed. You have many who have poured themselves into you. Timothy, you have the spirit that you are supported and indwelt with all that you need to carry on with faith. And so Timothy, who is the recipient of this letter, is going to have to carry on in Ephesus, that great city where they cried out, great is Artemis, for two hours. A city where there is much paganism. And Timothy is to move forward not in fear, but in full confidence. In fact, with thanksgiving himself. Because God has shown his grace to him. Because he has the spirit of God. And he can live shaped by God's love. Empowered by God's spirit. And led in God's truth. Are we thankful this evening? Do we know who we're thankful to? Do we have something that we're thankful for? Paul here, writing from a prison cell in Rome, says there's something to give thanks for. For those who have come to faith in Jesus, they have been the recipients of God's grace. They have been the recipients of good news, and they can live uh, knowing of God's grace. We can give thanks for God's grace when it touches others. And if we haven't come to faith, We see here is the giver of every good gift and one who is the source of all gratitude himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we pray, Lord, that we would see uh, how it is marked with thanksgiving, even in the hardships of life. Help us, Lord, to lift ourselves above our situation and to look to the work of our God Uh, to be able to find comfort uh, in the God who is sovereign and working in time. Even when others cannot see your footsteps, we pray that by your Spirit we would be able to behold and to marvel and to be thankful. So go before us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.